0: Like notes through the hourglass, these are the songs of our lives.
1: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Songs of Our Lives. I am Brad Rose. I am a musician, a composer, a writer, the founder of Foxy Digitalis, and somebody who thinks about music and sound far more than is probably healthy. Each week, I invite on a guest and talk to them about all the music and songs that have sort of been with them along their journey. This week, I am so excited to have Sarah Hennies, who is... Somebody I admire so much, somebody who, as I've mentioned throughout the episode, has turned me on to so much amazing music in the last 20 years that I've known her. Um, it's kind of it kind of boggles my mind. I think I actually mentioned that on the very first episode of "Songs of Our Lives" with Jeff Tobias when we were talking about hot snakes, because I'm almost certain that Sarah is the one who told me about hot snakes. Um, anyway, yeah, Sarah's got a million things going on. At all times, um, something I can relate to, and pretty much in my book, all of it is worth like paying attention to. I, I'm just, I'm just a huge, huge admirer of her work, and just yeah. And so we recorded this over Zoom. It is, I I think this is maybe episode I laughed the most during. I don't know. I, there's that's hard to quantify, but. I had so much fun. It was whenever, whenever I was developing the show, Sarah was one of the people I had in the back of my mind. I was like, I have to get Sarah on the show because it will be, it'll just, I will, I'll just have a really good time. And I wasn't wrong. It was, and it was even better than I hoped. So um, yeah, I hope everybody has at least half as much fun as we did. And I will mention really quickly here that the uh, Patreon section of this one is <laughs> takes the cake. So if you've been thinking about joining the Patreon, uh, this is the episode to do it and check it out. Cause it is, whew, <laughs> I was dying. So anyway, uh, yeah. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Yep. My guest today is a composer, a musician, a percussionist, an educator, and somebody who has probably introduced me to more music that I consider some of my favorite music than just about anybody in the last 20 years. So welcome to the show,
0: Sarah Henny's. Whoa, as <laughs> that's exciting.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's a, at least one thing on this list that, well, we'll talk about it, but it's just kind of life-changing, and I wouldn't know about it if it wasn't for you. Right. Um, or maybe would have eventually,
0: but who knows. Um, so how's everything going? Pretty good. I'm uh, enjoying uh, some... Time off from almost everything right now, except like pleasure projects, which is very rare. So I'm in a a little, a little nice pleasure zone right now where I can like work on music and do podcasts and, you know, stuff like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. A rare, a rare moment. Well, I'm glad the timing of this worked out. Yeah. Um, Speaking of passion projects, I don't remember the date. Soon you're playing, you're doing a performance of of a Michael Ronta piece or a couple pieces. Uh, only one. It was oh. going
0: to be it, it was going to be two, but um, the I, I I'm dealing with so many percussion instruments already that uh, it felt like adding a marimba was like a a, a, a ticket to the asylum or something. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's I, I've I have known about his music since I was a student because my first percussion teacher was a classmate of Rontos at Illinois, oh, where wow. I went and um once metaphone started putting out all these CDs like i guess it was like 10 years ago i was like oh yeah that guy <laughs> and then got really obsessed with him and ended up interviewing him with this guy vincent from switzerland and um, found all these scores of pieces of his that have that have never been documented anywhere and so oh my gosh i've been recording them so i've recorded i've finished two i'm like most mostly finished with one and then recording uh, another one uh, a week from today, actually, which is the thing that that we're playing um in New York next week too. Wow, that's amazing ha- yeah, i don't I think it
1: was when those reissues started happening is when i because I'd never even heard of him and
0: um, yeah even even now, like the only people I've found who are like, Oh, yeah, are European percussionists. They know who <laughs> he is because he uh runs a store in Cologne called Asian Sound that sells percussion instruments. Oh, wow. um, other otherwise, it's like almost everyone I ask is like, "Who's that?" Um, so I'm trying to trying to um, put this into the world.
1: Yeah, I his, it's I'm I don't know I don't really have words for it, but his stuff is it, it just kind of blows me away. And it when I I remember when I first heard it, it kind of shocked me that he wasn't one of these sort of like canon composers or artists that people know
0: about yeah, but. we we talked to him and and as far as I could figure he just didn't really I, I don't know this because he didn't say this but my impression is that he just doesn't really care if people know who he is or not <laughs> and it's like at the end of the interview I was kind of like you just seem like someone who just kind of does whatever you want and he's like yeah I always looked for adventure and that was it <laughs> awesome um, So I I don't know, but apparently in his old age, all he's doing now is just going through tapes. And like one of the, one of the last Metaphone releases is two hours of electroacoustic music from 1975 that just was literally sitting in his closet. Oh my God. And so there's, God knows how much other stuff there is because, you know, he's like in his eighties. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really exciting.
1: I always wonder that about that with like people like that or people who've been around for like just what they're vaults are full of uh, Uh, a lot apparently (laughs) yeah i i mean i yeah i think about that with i don't know because i'm always making stuff and i like i think about with my kid and i'm like okay i gotta like leave this and i don't want to have to saddle my kid with this mess
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know uh yeah (laughs) (laughs) i haven't figured out how that's gonna Um, i haven't solved that yet but um, I'm reacting that way because a, a large number of gongs have come into my life in the last <laughs> year and a half, j- just to play this piece that we're doing next week, and and it's great. I've never been an instrument collector. I've always tried to own as few instruments as possible because being a percussionist is just like a black hole. If you decide that you're someone <laughs> that owns instruments, and I, it was like I had a drum set and a vibraphone, and that was it. Other than you know a little box of like. You know ratchets or whatever, but now it's like, um, substantial. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I saw. I think you posted some pictures like the other day of all of various gongs. And
1: have you ever? Have you had any?
0: Do you know Vinny Golia? No, not personally. I think he was kind of around San Diego when I lived there, but that was twenty years ago. I I interviewed him last year, and he
1: was showing me all his some of his gong, and he has.
0: Well my, his his
1: his room that he was showing me that he was in could be your future.
0: So. <laughs> well he, I'm I'm laughing because there my favorite part of the interview from Sound American with Michael is where he's talking about meeting Edgar Varez and he says, Uh, Edgar showed me his gongs and one he explained to me that he found on the streets of New York and that a dog was urinating on it. <laughs>
1: Prize <laughs> <So>, position <laughs> Yeah. Uh,
0: so who all who are you all are you performing the piece with next week? Uh, two um, clarinet players named Katie Porter and Madison Greenstone, oh, um, who are really amazing. Madison has a new solo album that just came out of this, just like absolutely incredible, like multifaceted oh clarinet yes. clarinet playing. Is really the one really... on the one on relative pitch? I uh, the, yeah, I think I, so. I can't remember the
1: name of it. Yeah, that one. I wrote about this. It like completely sort of changed my whole perception of what was you could do with the clarinet. Yeah, so...
0: they, they they played some of that stuff um last summer when we were rehearsing we had a little show in my garage in Ithaca and it was just shocking. It was yeah. absolutely incredible.
1: Yeah, they're awesome. Um well speaking of people you play with you also have a duo with uh Tristan Keston Krauss my I I do. That? um which I'm really excited about just I <laughs> we've talked about this but the I remember when you guys were prepare, preparing to play that, I don't know, was it, it Roulette? Um, or no? At uh, Issue Project. At, issue Project, right? yeah. Um, and you, one of the things you played was Rocks, which is yeah. <laughs> a pile of, which I love. But can you just tell, can you just like talk a little bit about the project with Tristan? And yeah, it,
0: with it? Tristan and I met, and at first we were kind of bonding over Zanakas and... Um, decided that we were going to make a piece together and that we made a piece like uh, about a year and a half ago that I had my name on it. Like it, the program said I was the composer, but Tristan was so like integral in writing his bass parts that I felt really weird about it. And the piece was cool and, and we liked it, but I think there was this sense of like, why don't we just start over and like just do something together from the start. And Mm -hmm. we have played a few shows together. One of them was completely improvised and um, went to a residency for a week last summer and just spent four days in a cabin, just like basic, whatever the like experimental music version of jamming is, is what we were doing. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it just feels really good. And, and I had, uh, this isn't Ranta related, but there's these two pieces by Jean-Claude Elwa that that Michael played on that are both you know between 3 and 4 hours long and for years I've been like I want to do that like yeah. I want to I want to make a piece that's that big and I just have kind of like waited around for an idea or an opportunity that would sustain that amount of time and it kind of feels like this was it and so um yeah it's really I don't know it's really we've been talking a lot about how the music itself doesn't really sound all that crazy or adventurous, but it's weirdly hard to describe that like the way that we're making it, it's like it's composed, but nothing is written down, but also it's kind of improvised, but actually it's composed. (laughs) Like it's in this really, it's almost in this kind of like, we're working the way that, that like rock bands I was in work, you know, where everyone's just kind of responsible for their own part. And, some parts are, you know, my ideas and some of them are Tristan's ideas. Some of them are spontaneous, whatever. But we're, um, you know, trying to make something. We don't totally know what it is yet, but something that's kind of very long and and meditative. And I recently read about this style of meditation um, called, uh, I kind of forget the name. I think it's called Trataka, which is essentially staring at the flame of a candle. Um oh, wow. And it's, yeah, it's really, really, really interesting. And we read that and it was like, oh, this kind of sounds like what we're doing. Um, yeah. Except, you know, because, you know, I was already thinking about fire because like you said, there's a bunch of rocks involved and yeah. there's a field recording of a, of a rainstorm in it and and so on. And so, I don't know, we're just kind of doing it. We don't have a, a goal in mind. There's no show set up or anything, but we're, I mean, we're exploring that, yeah. but there's nothing is nothing is set in stone at all right now. So it's really, it's been a really nice thing to work on. It's like very. Um, okay. Well, let's, let's get into the whole
1: reason we're here. And yeah. To st- and to start, we're going to go all the way back to
0: what is the first song that you remember? I had to think about this for a long time because I was like, it- My parents were not into music, but my mom always had, you know, oldies radio on, which Mm -hmm. at that time is mostly like pop music from the 50s. And so I don't know what like the first song is like, I I can't identify that. But the first song that I can remember really having a presence is the song Duke of Earl, which I had to (laughs) I had to look it up is by Gene Chandler, who I don't know anything about, but... It's this goofy song, if you haven't heard it, that just goes, Duke, 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 Duke of Earl, Duke, 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 of Earl. And it just goes on. And I don't even remember why my parents were, I think they just thought it was funny and, and would sing it. And later I had a, when I was in like, I don't know, third grade or something, we had a basset hound that my dad named Duke, which I'm, <laughs> I'm certain is after Duke of Earl. And then... Much later in college, my ex's roommate had a car with a broken speedometer. And he said that he could tell if he was going the speed limit on the interstate because the stripe in the line passing the car was the same tempo as Duke of Earl. <laughs> what? <Wow>, that's science. <laughs> it, apparently, I... I, I've never, I've never confirmed this fact, but it, but I, it sounds right.
1: I'm but, half tempted to like go get in the car after this and
0: <laughs> yeah. put it on and see. But I, cu- I couldn't tell you the la- the last time I heard that song. But I, I had to think about it because I knew it, it had to be some kind of like the Beach Boys or Jan and Dean or right. just s- something that would have been on the radio when I was like five years old. Right.
1: Um, I could this. I hadn't. I mean, this is a song I've heard before, but I hadn't heard it in so long, and I went back and listened to it and. It's he just goes all in on the Duke thing. Yeah, I mean, it's like, <laughs> like there's like a line where it's like we'll
0: walk through my
1: dukedom. <laughs>
0: yeah, okay, like, I have to go back and listen to it.
1: It's um, yeah, and apparently he was uh, at one point before this in a band called the Duques.
0: So, <laughs> I mean, Gene Chandler is the Duke. Okay, um. I'm gonna go down the ra- the rabbit hole later on this. I a, a lot of these songs I I did this like pretty fast. Because uh-huh. I, I was trying not to be too intellectual about it, um, but because this one I really had to think about. Because my my first instinct was like, "Oh, well, Bon Jovi," but right? Because that right. was because that was the first album I bought. But the but before I heard that music, it was you know there the radio was on, yeah. and so it had to be something from from then. So <laughs> Duke of Earl, Duke oh, of Earl, man. it is. Um. What
1: well, so do do you consider yourself a crier? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> so, okay, so this one, must be, what's a song that will um, generally make you cry?
0: This one is more uh, current, like in the last less than a year that I heard this song, but um, ages ago, like early in my time in Austin, I was working with this, this architect on a project, and He had mentioned he heard I liked some folk music, and he was like, "Oh, my friends have this duo called the Milk Carton Kids that you would like them." And I listened to them, and I was like, "Oh, this is nice. It sounds kind of like Simon and Garfunkel." And then I forgot about them until, you know, this last year, and they put this new album out, and I was like, "Oh yeah, those guys!" And um, it's incredible. It is so good. And I was reading a little bit about it, and they, I, I saw on their Instagram, they were said that. I, I, I'm I'm sort of reading between the lines here, but that basically they were trying to figure out how to like not get bored with what they were doing and that mm-hmm. they had recorded this album and then threw it out completely because they said the songwriting like wasn't good enough and then made this new album because it's something like really different for them. And it really, really knocked me out. It's called I Only See the Moon. And so of course I went back and listened to all their other stuff and there's this really, really great live show Um from I, not that long ago, but it, it's all on YouTube and was released as an album. And it has some songs on it that aren't on records. And one of them is called Charlie. And it's got a very funny joke that I won't ruin uh, if anyone wants to go listen to it, <laughs> leading into it, because they have this kind of like comedy shtick that they do in between their songs, which is also really funny. <laughs> but and this is, it, you know, I never thought I was going to have kids until um, I met my partner, which was close to 10 years ago now. And I used to, used to always bother me when my friends with kids would be like, Oh, it really changes you. They, they <laughs> It's always like this hushed, like it changes you. And I didn't really, I didn't really like feel like that. Like, of course I'm changed, but um, not in that way or whatever that means. But I'm listening to this milk carton kids album and they play this song, Charlie, that is about having a baby and I was in the car and I was weeping like a little <laughs> child listening to this song. Um, it, it's, it's, it's very sweet. Um, yeah. and, but then like the reveal in the song is like this guy's singing about the daughter he's about to have and like how, you know, what kind of person she's going to be. And then later in the song reveals that, um, he does not yet even have a partner to have the child with <laughs> which which sounds funny like when i'm describing it this way but in the song it's like really really very touching and like kind of heartbreaking yeah. at the same time and it just right. it really it's a really really good song um but also apparently having a child does change you <laughs> <laughs> damn it yeah, no. I, when I, I had never heard this, and
1: when it, like, yeah, when it kind of gets to the kicker at the end, where you realize, like, oh, he's
0: singing. Yeah
1: it, it kind of broke me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: And <laughs> was... the other thing is that in the show, right before that song, is there is another song called Maybe It's Time, or maybe it's right after? I can't remember, but it's just, it's also a just completely heartbreaking. Like not exactly a breakup song, but just basically like a song about letting go, pain, oh, and wow. it's like a one-two on the record. And I'm just in the <laughs> driving, just going, <laughs> <laughs> just full dr- dry
1: heave crying on the interstate. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm gonna have to like go down this rabbit hole because this song
0: they're I- they're really great. Like if you if if I mean it, a lot of it is very like you know normal which is fine right yeah it's (laughs) It's like you can't have
1: if every song was like this i couldn't fucking
0: do it (laughs) but you know some of some of their albums definitely you can tell they're kind of like spinning their wheels a little bit but they are amazing they're incredible guitar players and great singers great songwriters they're really and but this new album is is really it's not at all avant-garde but it's really unusual and 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 really amazing
1: i love that yeah i love this pick
0: yeah i i was hoping that i was like ah this is like not the
1: song that makes you cry i mean pff, it's like i don't know what's wrong with me but um i mean the stupidest stuff makes me cry these days it seems like
0: <laughs> oh yeah it's i i'm like a, a like a rushing river of feelings so it's like doesn't yeah. take much <laughs> yeah it's yeah um
1: well on the other side of that what's the song that will always put you in a better mood
0: this one, was, uh, I didn't think about too much either, but also is, a uh, child involved, which is, um, Ivor Cutler's Cockadoodle do not Yes. Because um, among other things, it's perfect for a child because it's like 90 seconds long and it has fart noises in it. <laughs> 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 exactly. And, and I, I've, 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 I've always, I've loved Ivor Cutler since college and, um, but I have I have revived the Ivor Cutler Trio record in my household since I had a kid because there's two or three songs on there that, you know, when he could just, you know, barely talk when I would play like, good morning, how are you? Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> or, or like, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. But yes. uh, it's those two and, and Cockadoodle Don't are my favorites. But um, yeah, it's just like an in- instant, instant pleasure. Yeah, this is one of the. Mi- I didn't know about Ivor Cutler
1: before we met. This is one of the mi- things on the list that like I learned about because of you. Um, and I always feel like this album is this. It feels like this improbable. It's like how does this? How did this get made? How does this exist? Like he's just this wonderful madman and did this thing with, um. Yeah, what's his name? George Martin. And like, like what the fuck? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. I Ivor, he's such a, I don't know, an endlessly fascinating character to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I heard him because I, I went to school in England for a year in college and because I wanted to go just because I was interested, but I had a good friend that lived there and that was who turned me on to Ivor Cutler. And like, <laughs> I remember the first thing I heard was the, well, the first thing I heard was this, this the album Ludo, but then I went and looked up life in a Scotch sitting room and it's just basically this like stand up comedy album. <laughs> And he, he, it's like the Simpsons watching Prairie Home Companion where they like say something and everyone just goes wild and the the family is just sitting there like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and it's the same. It's as far as I can tell, it's like deep Scottish humor. And I was like, I have no idea what is happening here, but, um, yeah, yeah I, I really all of his stuff and is, I mean, I don't know, I guess it's, I didn't plan it this way. I guess it's sort of milk carton kidsy because a lot of it's just like incredibly sad but like so surreal and funny and um i guess that's my zone yeah <laughs> sad surreal funny right <laughs> um
1: well if it's not cocked don't what is objectively
0: the best song of all time <laughs> this was this was a difficult one uh but I really I went for best band of all time and so I just picked one of my favorite songs because when I was a teenager and uh, in college and well now I guess but like 90s discord records was like that was it for me that was like mm-hmm. my music and Fugazi was never my favorite discord band I liked them I saw them a few times they were incredible every time but they I never listened to them as much as a lot of my friends, but at some point more recently, like in the, I don't know, last 10 years or so, I was like, you know what? This is the best rock band. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like nobody did it better than this band in every yeah. way. Like uh, all the cliches, you know, like being offered a huge record deal and saying no and being for political causes and like playing these shows that are just like, just crushingly great. Like you, you just can't watch that and be like, eh. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I picked the song Facet Squared because the first song on In on the Kill Taker. Um, I just think that that's like what one of the most incredible openings of an album that I've ever yeah. heard. It's just like it's just like they're smashing buildings or something. It's so huge, oh and um, I just have so much so much respect for them. I know that's such a cliche, but like, you know, like someone. I forget what it was in, but somebody was like, how do you think in this, you know, violent macho scene, Fugazi like got away with telling people like not to mosh and not to hit each other. And the, whoever they were talking to, the person was like, it just wasn't cool to make Fugazi mad. And it's like, <laughs> like how do you how do you achieve that? without like yeah being like a like a macho dickhead and they they weren't like they're they they were like dudes and it was aggressive music but i don't i not macho
1: no yeah i don't know i yeah i totally like their yeah greatest rock band ever and yeah i don't when you put it like putting it the way you just put it's like yeah i don't know how that happened like and like, I can't even imagine that happening now, let alone how it happened in the 90s. Like, well, it's also, it's
0: like, and of course, you know, they had all of these other bands before Fugazi that, like, helped facilitate this. But, like, I was and continue to be, like, really, really heartbroken about what happened to independent music that, like, around 2000, like, I saw The Strokes and I was, I remember seeing that and thinking, uh-oh. Like what I, what I love is over now. Like the record industry has now decided that this is worth money and it's worth imitating. (laughs) And, and I was totally right. And not that I'm trying to be like, but but that Fugazi is like the, just like the, just the ultimate version of everything that I cared about with independent (laughs) music is to be run your own record label, book your own shows, They don't cost very much to go to. The music obviously is like amazing. You're not an asshole, but you're really serious. Like just like everything, it's it's just incredible that that what that what that band did, and all of their albums are like different from one another. Like they were always pushing forward. It was just completely non-commercial, totally independent music, and um, I just think that that's like so. Yeah. I'm like getting choked up talking about right. it. I told I told you it's easy to make me cry. <laughs> it's like I I I um I, I know it's very easy to to tread into like old timer like things were better when I was a kid sort of stuff, which isn't what I'm saying. Like things are there's lots of great stuff going on now too. But it's like I really especially like teaching at a college with a lot of, you know, younger musicians, mm-hmm. it's like I just they're great. Like they're for the most part they're great, but I don't see that spirit. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it seems like that. It's, yeah, I. It seems like that spirit has been just strangled out. I mean, I don't even know if it's. Str- I think that, like my, I have a niece who she's twenty two. Obviously, my kid's ten. Has no idea, but like, it's not even that it's like been strangled out. They just have no idea it was a thing that was possible or something like right, and. Which is, you know, in some ways worse, because it's like, God, like, how do I, yeah.
0: Well, I just think people, you know, indie music in the 90s was like, major labels are fucking stupid, and we don't have access to it anyway, so we're going to create our own power structure, and we're going to create our own economy. Like, I remember when bands, I I was booking shows in my hometown for a while, and bands would just show up with, like, notebooks with phone numbers in them. Yeah. (laughs) Like and th- you know that's not a good thing like <laughs> I, I i like i like having a smartphone i like going on tour and not getting lost but the thing that's valuable about that is that you had to really build relationships with people to do something um and and that's the thing that was because you know i was like a, a shy weird awkward little teenager and like that was how i found community and mm-hmm. f- friends and like anything that made me happy and it was w- certainly was the music but it was also like everything around it that like right like I'll, I'll never forget the first time i got taken to a punk rock show and i was like it was 13 years old and like barely 13 and i just i don't i don't know what how exactly i thought of it at the time but now it's sort of my reaction was like oh i can just go see a band right in front of my face yeah. And this is so much better than any rock concert that I have ever been to.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean I yeah, I have I have memories like that too or like I I still remember and this is kind of different, but um like the first time I and I was maybe 14 or maybe 15 and I heard the Mountain Goats. Oh yeah. And and thinking, "Oh, you can just get a tape recorder and just make your own music." Yeah, you don't and have like, to wait wait for anyone. Yeah. And then just send it to people and meet people that way or share it. With, and it was, I'd still like, I'm yeah. And uh, I don't know. I mean, and there's still some of that part of it, I guess. I mean, in some ways it's a whole lot easier to make your own music and not wait for anybody. And like, but well, it's
0: not, I, I yeah. should say, it's not like this doesn't exist anymore. Like I, I really, really love this, this folk punk band pigeon pit from Olympia and I follow them on Instagram and they're, they're as far as I can tell, very young, like in their early twenties. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I see videos of them playing like tennis courts and living rooms and stuff. And it's like, this still exists. It's not like, I I just want to say, it's not like I think that punk rock stopped happening, (laughs) but that (laughs) there, but that the infrastructure for it is really destroyed by, um, you know, everything that you would expect. Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm I'm surp- I'm also surprised. This is literally only the second time Fugazi has come up on this show. Wow, yeah, and the other one was um, for favorite lyrics. So. Oh, okay, yeah. that was a hard but, one for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, on a totally different tangent, what is a song that you used to love but you heard it recently, or you think about it now and you're like, oh, not the- so much.
0: <laughs> so I, I I picked this because the story is funny, but uh, but also because I I couldn't think of. Something else where I was like, other than just like, oh, I was thirteen and I liked Skank and Pickle for a second, like, <laughs> you know, right? Um, but that when I was in college, I was introduced to the music of Vingo Globocar, and I think this is the only experimental music thing that I picked for this, since it is called Songs <laughs> of Our Lives. But um, I was really, and I was, I was in this this experimental music seminar with Herbert Brune and around all these like really rigorous modernist experimental music people. And it was found it really inspiring. And I was like, I'm going to be serious, serious experimental musician and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) blah. And there's this piece by Vinko Globokar. He's a Slovenian composer, but he's been in France like forever. I I'm it's actually, he must be really old by now, but, um, (laughs) um, he ha- and you know when I was in college I was looking for unusual percussion pieces to play because I was a percussion student and mm. there's this piece he has called Corporel that is for no instruments it's for a shirtless percussionist playing on their body and there there's a few dimensions to this that what the the the, the simpler one is that when I was in college I thought this was really cool and really interesting and really adventurous. And now when I see percussionists doing it, it just seems stupid to me. Like it, (laughs) it, 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 it's like a, it's like a spoof of performance art or something. And like, Mm. and when you see Vinko do it, it's like funnier, but it, but musically, I just like, it just doesn't do it for me anymore. But at the time it felt like it was some sort of like social statement or whatever. But more than that is that, twice I met this person once in college and once in grad school and he by a pretty wide margin is the biggest asshole I have ever worked with. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I like, this was, this was over 20 years ago and I'm still angry at, (laughs) at, at like some of the stuff that I had to do and put up with for this guy. And, um, it really it it's like I, I couldn't listen to his music anymore. He he has this string quartet that I actually really like a lot where the it's a first string quartet with and they all speak in a few different languages and I can't listen to it anymore because I was just like I yeah. all I can think about when I hear this person's music is what a shithead he is. And yeah. he like the first time I was playing percussion in this large ensemble piece called Zlom, And one of the things that I had to do was shatter a huge pane of glass with a hammer that was <laughs> that was amplified. And he was and you know, I, I was like 20 and I thought all oh, this was like really cool. And I was the only percussionist on this huge chamber piece, like 20 musicians. And he's, at the time, it seemed normal to me that a composer would be like, here's how you do this without getting all cut up. <laughs> <laughs> and... and and i did it and it was fine but um it, the whole rehearsal process he was just screaming at everyone and like one time the the score was all in french and he he screamed at me because i accidentally one time mixed up the french words for whistle and ratchet and and he's like why would you play a whistle when it says ratchet? And it's just like, like and he's like screaming at some guy who has to leave early because he has to go like close up the shop that he left work for to play oh for God. this person and then I, I don't know. I there's more. Yeah. I don't I don't need to go sure. on about this if you want. But <laughs> um the but oh yeah, I'm sorry, the end of the story is that the night of the concert he um uh was walking past my percussion setup, which was enormous. Mm-hmm and he this was like minutes before the concert he bumped into the glockenspiel and knocked it onto the floor which is like the, the loudest messiest instrument you could possibly knock over like like all of these just shrill metal pieces just went everywhere and all he said was excuse me and it's like god you are so far gone that that you just literally lack the ability for just basic kindness, Um wow. and so that that's the answer to my to your question. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. And God. then I and then he came to San Diego uh, two years later, and and um, he was a total jerk then too, but in a completely different way. Jesus, he didn't remember me either. He didn't. He didn't remember me. So
1: well god that sounds awful it was awful but now but now
0: i'm telling you about it and i'm laughing and so that means it was worth it yeah (laughs) (laughs) you'll always have the story
1: yeah um well kind of on a different maybe 45 degree angle from that what is a song that most people some people people absolutely hate but you don't care you love it anyway
0: this one I had to think about for a little bit, but then when it came to me, I just started cackling. Which is, I love Bobby Khan. like, like total hero worship. One of my favorite artists ever. I saw Bobby Khan in the Glass Gypsies when I first moved to Austin, and I felt like I was seeing Led Zeppelin or something. Like it is, b- without question, one of the best shows I have ever seen, and. I have a lot of these things, but this one in particular, I think because of the nature of, of the music, frequently, And I mean, I've just stopped trying to turn people on to him unless, <laughs> unless I have the sense that it's someone who's going to be receptive to it, is that people w- will just be like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the 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 album that got me into him is called the Golden Age because in San Diego this was in like two thousand two or three. I went to see Annual Notice by the Trail of Dead like right at the right before the moment they became like a huge band, and I really mm-hmm. liked them at the time and f- for some reason Bobby Kahn was their support act, and it was Bobby <laughs> Kahn and his wife, a drummer and then these this bass player who looked like he like fell out of a ditch next to the Allman Brothers <laughs> <laughs> and then and then this guitar player who he played with whose name is sled uh w- with one of those seven string ibanez guitars with the handle oh, in it yeah. that steve vai played Vi guitar yeah and he and the guy is like a shredder but he looks like he's like 50 and and they're all wearing matching tennis suits and But you know, Bobby Khan is like five feet tall and he has this like bob haircut. It it, it was so weird and funny. And I could see I was, I've never had like a bigger grin on my face. And everyone around me I could see was like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) And when will it be over? (laughs) Um, and, but this, I'm sorry, the song that I picked is the last song on the Golden Age is called "Horse," which is uh, about a, a trans hooker. <laughs> I, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, Bobby, this is another, I'd never heard, of, I had never listened to Bobby Kahn
1: until we met. And I, I have a very, I have an affinity for Bonnie, Bobby Conn because oh, it's just like, I don't know, he's like this shape shifter weirdo. Yeah, so, yeah, like, to me, like, Bobby Khan, like, everything, I don't know, I feel like everything he does, if it was, anybody else was doing it, I, it just, would. not that it makes sense, but it does, because it's, I don't know, I, I can't explain Bobby Khan, yeah. I'm not gonna, but I, I have, like, such admiration for him and people like him who just, it's, they just they just go there and then go well. It's like, here's this line where everybody thinks like, okay, like and it's just like, fuck this. I'm yeah. running. <laughs>
0: well, there's also like, it was, I, I made this piece in 2016 called falsetto. That's this like crazy kind of performance art, solo percussion piece. And when I did that, the first time I did it, it was super spontaneous. I was playing a show. I was opening for Jacob wick and, when I used to play shows locally in Ithaca, I would just use those opportunities to just try stuff because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a small town. It's always the same audience. I don't want to do the same thing all the time. And the first time I did that, it was a really big moment for me because (laughs) I was, I I had never thought about being funny as a musician before. (laughs) And the piece is not like only funny, like it's actually pretty serious and, pretty like hard to watch I'm told as an audience member. And it was really powerful to me to realize that like I can be funny and serious at the same time, because that's a, you you know, that's like a a more, I I mean, maybe this is over intellectualizing something like Bobby Khan, but that's like a more complex, like human experience because it's like, if something's sad, you're like, Oh, it's sad. If it's funny, it's funny. But if it's sad and funny, at least certainly judging by what I saw from audiences, all the times I saw Bobby Kahn, people are like, don't know what to do. Yeah. It's like, and that's, that's like really exciting. And that he's such a good songwriter and the band was so good. And the songs that he's singing are just absolutely ridiculous. Um, (laughs) That was really, and it's also, it's just like, I I, I mean, Bobby Kahn is, and, his wife are married and they have kids, but like that is a queer band. Right. Like I I don't care what your yeah. sexuality is. That is like the queerest band ever. <laughs> it's like, you've got this like old, sh- the glass gypsies, you've got Bobby Khan who's five feet tall with, with a bowl cut. His, his wife, who's much taller than him playing violin, <laughs> this shirtless keyboard player with like a fur jacket on and a drummer with, shorts that are way too small for him (laughs) and and it's just you just see it and you're like what the fuck is this and then they play and it was particularly the glass gypsy show where the other times i saw bobby Khan, i just felt like people were angry but with (laughs) the glass with the glass gypsies i could see it that people were just absolutely stunned and and it's like what could possibly be better than that
1: yeah i mean that's uh it, to to be able to do that and get, like, yeah, that's not easy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but I remember uh, I there was some, this was a long time ago, I think there was some inkling that, like, I could live in Chicago or something, and I was talking to a friend, and I was like, oh, you know, I could play drums for Bobby <laughs> Kahn. And I was, like, kind of joking, and he just laughed and was like, I don't think that that would be hard to do. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. Just imagine if you had yeah. If only. <laughs> if yeah. only. Um well yeah, I I don't know that I, I'm trying to think who if I know anybody else who loves Bobby Khan. But I'm sure I, know, I do,
0: but no no one at the level that I do that I can like talk about it. You know, <laughs> like like, right. like have a conversation. <laughs> um Well what that's like a and that's like a
1: perfect answer because I yeah, I know a lot of people who because i've had i've had conversations with people about bobby khan i'm like oh you should listen and then everyone's just like i don't what like what do you
0: mean like, right. what is what's is wrong with you why Why would you do this to me right
1: <laughs> <laughs> um okay well uh I, gosh you could have picked a bobby khan song for this next one i, I could i could have picked the same
0: i could have indeed <laughs> picked a, the, same the same, same song, song. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so if it's not horse <laughs> what is what is the most romantic song
0: <laughs> this one was hard for me to pick too but i it was i had this so my partner is a visual artist and uh she likes the music i play but is not like into music generally like she likes mm-hmm. music but she's not a music person and right when she shows an interest in something i get excited and we were working on our house once and and uh, this song was on, and she was like, whoa, this is hot. <laughs> and it's it's by uh, Daniel Romano, who I will say is the greatest living songwriter, <laughs> called uh, She Was the World to Me, which is a song on his first album, which is uh, one of a few like country albums. Um, and it's his first solo album, and so it's not really like my favorite one. I, I love his country albums, but this one... You know, you can kind of tell it's a first album and it's a little Mm -hmm. bit intentionally, but it's a little bit like hokey and, you know, kind of like doing a genre. But this one song, She Was the World to Me, is just this solo guitar and singing and it sounds like it's a live recording. So it's like, it's very real. But, (laughs) 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 you you know, it's just, it's another like lonely love song. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's something about the way he sings that's just like achy where it's not you know technically it's a sad song but it doesn't really like make me feel that way it's just it's just more kind of like wow you know it like inspires Mm -hmm. this sort of like awe is not the right word but um it's i
1: know what you mean it's in that yeah vicinity (laughs) but
0: i also i just didn't want to do this and not mention daniel romano because i just i i really um think he he's really like something special Although I think he's, like, pretty popular by now, but it felt like there was this long stretch of um, of time where he just was putting out, uh, you know, perfect album after perfect album, and it didn't yeah. seem like he was really... Like, I, I could see that he was touring Europe, but it was, you know, my friend saw him in Philadelphia, like, in a restaurant, and that half, half the people there were, like, not even paying attention kind of stuff, so... Wow. Um, but I, I just... There's something about his music that really um, moves me, and I like that he's kind of a shapeshifter and one of these people that mm-hmm. just clearly does whatever the fuck he wants. Like he said that he left, he left new West records and went back to his own record label because new West wouldn't let him put out enough records. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, he was like, yeah, they want me to do the one album, one tour a year thing. And I just like, I can't do that. I like, I write too much. And, um, Wow. I guess I get awesome. really, I mean, this is like Michael Ronta. I just am really a big admirer of these people who are just like, or and Fugazi too, who are completely in control of their own destinies. And mm-hmm. he's definitely one of them, you know, he's from like a town near Niagara Falls in Ontario. And like his record label is run by him and his high school friend. And, you know, they have like a booking agent and stuff, but in general, it's like all seemingly totally self-contained. And <laughs> i like yeah. his other band, Ancient Shapes put out a, a and I, I think you know this, but I have a joke that like, if a band I like signs to sub pop, then like that means that their next album is not going to be good. Right. And there's there's an ancient shapes. His other Romano's other band, Ancient Shapes, put out a split seven inch on Sub Pop last year, and I was like, if huh. you ruin my fucking favorite <laughs> musician, I am going to be. So I will bomb your offices right. if you, because if, it was the same with. Um, martha who who actually i also picked a song by um uh, yeah on this list that i was like i i just for the longest time i could see that martha was getting really popular and i was like i just know a, that sub pop is gonna pop sign <laughs> them that it's like sub pop's gonna sign them and it's gonna ruin my favorite band they, <laughs> and i'm gonna hear them in the gap and i'm just gonna break down crying <laughs> like but they didn't do it as far as i can yeah. tell actually just yesterday they announced a new daniel romano album
1: yeah i saw that yeah well uh he broke maybe he broke the curse
0: <laughs> yeah. well it's only a split 7 it's only one yeah. song it wasn't enough like bad mojo to- they, <laughs> they
1: they if it was, had been a full 7 inch it was fucked but right uh, who was the split with
0: your river? I have no idea. Okay, was, I'm, like, it, yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm a super fan, but I'm not. I yeah. didn't buy that. I, I, I couldn't spend whatever it cost with shipping for you know 90 seconds of one ancient right. shape song. Right. Especially you could just like go on YouTube and hear it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: Uh, well, what is it, what's a song that changed your perspective on an artist, either for better or for worse?
0: This one definitely for better is that for years and years and years, I, you know, I would see Arthur Russell's name all the time. And for whatever reason, I just never like checked it out. And then uh, Aaron Russell, my old bandmate from Weird Weeds, um, met his current partner, Sheila. And Sheila is a huge Arthur Russell fan. And Sheila is also a huge Scott Walker fan. So we were talking music and and I was like, well, if you love Scott Walker and Arthur Russell's your favorite, I got to hear this person. Yeah. So I, I asked her, like, what album should I listen to? And she said, calling out of context. And I listened to it, and I just was like, I don't like this. <laughs> and, like, it's not like I hated it, but I I didn't get it. It didn't do much for me. And, you know, months later, I tried again. It's one of those things that, like, I kind of kept thinking about it. Like, I could see that I was missing out on something, mm-hmm. even though I wasn't into this record. And then, it wasn't until um I saw something online somewhere about his, his pieces called instrumentals. And I, I saw something about like Arthur Russell's foray into classical music and I was like, What is this? <laughs> and at this time I, I hadn't heard World of Echo, I hadn't heard really anything. I had only heard this one album. So I, I didn't really have a sense of the the vastness of like the Arthur Russell right. world. But for whatever reason something for whatever reason because it has all of the characteristics of music that i like <laughs> <laughs> the, the album instrumentals really 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 grabbed me um because it was one of i, I it, it seems so normal like it's just like kind of major chords repeated a bunch of times with somebody playing a shaker um but it had this like m- mystery to it where i it was yeah. whenever if something makes me say like what is this I, right. I almost always end up loving it because it's so rare that I hear something that I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> right. And then, I, and so I, I really, really, that really knocked me out. And then I heard, um, you know, I started listening to all these other records and I heard um, World of Echo and Love is Overtaking Me. And I watched the documentary and I was like, oh yeah, actually this guy is, not that I didn't believe people, but that I like I I got it like I under, right. I understood like who he was but I still calling out a context doesn't really do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> but when you've yeah. got when you've got like fifty albums, you cannot right. like one of them.
1: Yeah, it's okay. It's yeah. I mean yeah, um, yeah. I love like the instrumental stuff. I I don't know. I was like, it's like this. In, in, this piece like it just makes me. I don't know. It makes me feel good. Like, yeah, it's just there's. That's, like, the best way I can describe it. And, I like, Arthur Russell, to me, like, just thinking about, like, I remember watching the documentary and just thinking about his story and stuff. It just, like, a lot of his music, it's amazing to me that it was made when it was. And because it's still, like, it sounds like something people are still trying to figure out how to do now.
0: Right. (laughs) Like, And I also, uh, I just remember in the documentary, there's that film, the video of him Standing up, playing cello live by himself, and I think it's w- probably world World of Echo stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "This is the saddest music I have ever heard." Like, yeah, it is. I mean, he's like literally like looking into himself when he's playing. He's like looking at the floor, and it just sounds like it's just coming like straight from inside his head or something. Um, it's r- really, really, really amazing. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, I. It took me, I, I don't, it took, I, I feel like I was late to Arthur Russell. Cause it was what I like kind of similar, like a thing that I, people I knew loved and talked about and I just never, I don't know. There's just, there's, you know, there's only so much time in a day. Um, I mean, I had the same experience until recently with Lowe, so fuck, I don't know, Right. um, it's, there's just, yeah. And then, well, and it's also one of those things too, at least for me with him and, or like with the band, like Lowe, like at some point. It just feels like impenetrable because there's so much, and there's
0: right. just, and so it's like I don't know. I I think it just it's not for me. But then you know, well, with someone it, like Arthur Russell too, you can just kind of like think, well, what kind of music do I like? Which Arthur Russell album did he do that? <laughs> yeah, that's because <laughs> it's like the the love is overtaking me is incredible. I love that album because I have a penchant for like intimate sounding singer songwriter records that are kind of weird like yeah uh, (laughs) and so it's like love is overtaking me and world of echo and instrumentals are 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 all just really really spoke to me
1: yeah Uh, everybody can have their own personal arthur russell (laughs) exactly (laughs) um okay we said this
0: one was hard what are your but what are your favorite lyrics i'm not a lyrics person yeah, and uh, to to give you a sense of what that means, just last week, my my friend Clifford is always texting me about like, nine, like kind of like c level nineties po- uh, post hardcore and emo, and being like, yeah, I listened to c Clamp today. It's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> But we were we were texting about Helium, who whose first couple records I really love, and we both of us are, are big fans. And I hadn't listened to any of those in a really long time. And uh, you know, I the Pirate Prude EP was always my favorite Helium thing. And so there's, I, I don't know how many times I've heard that album, but a lot, like <laughs> like many 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 times. And it I'm not joking. Two weeks ago that I was listening to the song XXX, which is the one that was on Beavis and Butthead, and I was like, oh, this song's about a prostitute. <laughs> and it's like, the lyrics are literally, I'm going to go out on the street and make some money. Like, <laughs> and, and so th- this is the degree to which lyrics are not like a thing in my life all that much. But I mentioned the, that... Oh, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, yeah, the song could literally say, basically say, this song is about frost.
0: I mean, it might as well say as well. that. It, yeah. it, like, I felt so stupid. I mean, that's why I'm telling you is I thought it was so yeah. funny. It's like, what is the matter with me? Um. But so I, I, you know, I'm a sound person, but yeah. I, I mentioned that piece falsetto earlier, the one where I like said I could be funny, but that I wrote a short essay about that piece of you, you know, around that time, like 2017 or something. And was talking about playing with all these little bells and, thinking about a bell as like kind of a queer object because like the definition of like a very well-made bell is like a richness of, of, of overtones and like a richness of sound, which is, you know, not, uh, it's, it's vast or whatever. I don't want to get into my whole, like <laughs> queer, this queer, that, but, um, around the time I was writing that is when the second Martha album came out. And the first mm. Martha album was really important to me because I was listening to it constantly when I was getting a divorce. And then then the second one came out and I was like, Oh boy, like my, my new favorite band released a second album. And it took me a while at first. I didn't really notice it as much, but the, the last song on the record is just this simple guitar and vocal song. It's pretty short. Um, that, that is called, um, I have to even look it up St. Paul's parentheses Westerberg comprehensive. And, um, he uh, quotes "Bastards of Young" in the lyrics of the song, but the the lyric that I chose, uh, which I quoted in this essay about my own pieces, um, "We are not worthy to receive you. We are the daughters and the sons, or the secondhand trousers, blazers and blouses, blazers and blouses, irredeemable ones." And it just kind of reminded me of the way I was thinking about playing with all these little bells, because the reason I have them is because they're cheap, and it's like this burning question I have in my life is why are why are there hundreds of bells in thrift stores all over the all over the world? Is that like wh- where did they come from? And cause someone bought it new. At yeah. one point it was new and someone wanted it. And then they got rid of it and the world decided that it was not worth anything. Um <laughs> and, you know, there's a, a line on that song about um uh where it's uh, like they caught you kissing on the bus. Um, but when they asked you about it, you said nothing because some lines can't be crossed or something like that. And it's like, Oh, I know what (laughs) you're singing about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so it's just one of those songs that just hit at like the, the perfect time Mm -hmm. of my life when I was already like thinking about this kind of stuff anyway. And, um, I I like that it, it, it's kind of, it has, the song has this kind of like resignation to it. Um, where it's not like a big feeling song. It's just kind of, it's very British. It's just kind of like, yeah, that's yeah. what, that's, that's where we're at. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's really good. Uh, I,
1: mm, that's really good. What a line, jeez. I know. or a verse or whatever. I don't know. Um, yeah. Okay. So what is the last song you completely fell in love with?
0: Their new West records just put out this, 11 LP box set by a band from the 90s called Acetone and I, I had never heard of this band before and I don't know how and I saw Drew from Matmos posting about it they posted a picture of himself holding this box because Drew wrote the liner notes for, which is like a 60 page book because I guess Drew knew them somehow in, in San Francisco <laughs> but I had never heard of this band before and because Drew's posting about it I went and checked them out and particularly their self-titled album just absolutely blew me away. And th- this was just a few months ago. It blew me away to the point that I got the box set because I just <laughs> was like, I, it, it it's, I, it's kind of the, this self-titled record is kind of in the universe of those early low albums. The music is really different, but it's slow and it's so skeletal. Like mm-hmm. it's just the most like clean, guitar, bass, drums, like kind of plaintive vocals. It's another one of these things that kind of like seems like nothing the first time you hear it. And then you're like, "Huh, what's going on there? But um, yeah, or, or I'm sorry. The song I picked is called All You Know, which is from the self-titled record. But, but I, I've just been kind of slowly, casually working my way through this box set. And I don't know how I never heard of this band before, but they're really, really great. So
1: I, I said at the top of this that the, so this is the one that I'd never heard of that, once again, you've, like, introduced me to something that fucking, like, just floored me.
0: Well, this like band I, was on, on a, on like, on a major label. Like, they, they were really big. And so I don't know how, yeah. you know, they've got 11 LPs worth of stuff. Right. And it just completely escaped me. Yeah,
1: I'd never, I'd never,
0: like, I listened to
1: this song when you sent over the list a couple weeks ago. And then I just went down the rabbit hole because i loved it so much and yeah the it is so it's so weird it's music that feels like it's on like on the surface it's barely there but yeah when you like sit and listen to it it's just it uh, it's so it's like heavy and like does so much and it's i don't know it's so well it's also
0: it's like really really sad kind of depressive depressive music but it doesn't sound like that right <laughs> like i uh yeah you know it has this kind of i use the word resignation already to it but it has this this like almost like apathy or something of of like this kind of unfeeling sadness or or like numbness i guess is the best word to put it that mm. um and of course that's like contextualized cuz one of the people in the band um killed himself which is like i don't know how much that is coloring the way that i hear the music but i don't sure. i think i would be saying these things whether i knew that or not but um it certainly you know puts it in a in a in a clearer context
1: yeah i i i i still can't figure out how i didn't know about this which i mean that sounds Same. in some ways sounds silly like oh i should know about everything but i mean this wasn't
0: it this, doesn't was seem a, like this was, this was a, a big band with like right. multiple albums it wasn't some
1: obscure thing yeah <laughs> Um, and yeah, I, how far have you gotten into the box set? So have you listened to all of it?
0: Um, yeah, Oh no, I haven't listened to the like extras disc yet. Okay.
1: But I, one yeah. one
0: of them is, is literally on my turntable right now. I was listening to one of them last <laughs> night. I, yeah, I, I,
1: yeah, I'm very tempted by that. Not that, yeah, but, um, yeah, I, I'm so glad that I know about this now because I can, it was like one of those things, too, as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, this is going to be a thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah,
1: got it. Ugh. That's cool. I didn't even realize, I don't even think I even realized that Drew did the liner notes. So that makes yeah, and
0: when, when I saw on Instagram that he said he did the liner notes, I was expecting like, you know, one page of a CD booklet or something, but it's uh-huh. a 60-page book that Drew wrote. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, Wow. I mean I mean they're short pages it's like sure. an LP sized thing with like photos and stuff but still it's like he goes in depth on every single record
1: That's awesome.
0: Man, yeah, it's absolutely. really it's a really really nice nice thing.
1: Um okay, well what's a lyric that you thought you knew but then you learned it was something else and it blew your mind?
0: This one is um by the KLF who had a hit song when I was I think in middle school called 3 AM Eternal. Mhm. And there is this like backing vocal, um, where it'll go like, um, I'm trying to remember the, the lead in lyric, but there's like a backing vocal that goes, ancient, so moo, moo. And I never, when I was a kid, I was like, what are they saying? And I thought it was something, I thought they were saying like ancient groove or something like that. And then when I was in college, actually the same friend that introduced me to Ivor Cutler told me about the KLF. That oh, and I had seen that the KLF made this album called Chill Out, which is this mm-hmm. like seminal ambient record. And I can't believe I use the word seminal, but <laughs> um, but th- but that it was already like weird to me that that this band on MTV with this basically like kind of hip hop song right. made an ambient record. Right, (laughs) and then called "Chill Out," and then later, this was when I was in college. My friend told me that the KLF had um, burned one million pounds as an art Mm -hmm. uh, project—pounds as in money. Right, and that, um, and also that they had created a fake band and got to number one with a mashup of Doctor Who and Gary Glitter, and then revealed that they had done it as a joke by writing a book that was a step-by-step how-to guide on how to have a number one single. <laughs> and, and they have all this like weird m- mythology and the original name of the KLF was the Ancients of Moo... the Justified Ancients of Moo-, Moo which is from the... a, a joke from the Illuminatus trilogy. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until later I found out all of this crazy shit about the KLF that I was like, those guys? <laughs> And it turns out in this song, like they, they were on the Brit Awards, like this song was all over MTV. And yeah, it was that's huge. was a an an even bigger hit in the UK where they're from. And what they're saying is Ancients of Moo Moo <laughs> in like a top top ten song. Like a number one song oh, in so- the UK. And I'm just it's like I know those guys were like kind of industry people from the start, so it was like easier for them. To get away with a lot of this stuff, but mm-hmm. it's it's one of the most incredible examples of someone just completely f- fucking with the music industry and like exposing it for like right. the the bullshit that it is. Um, but I yeah. like that they said they changed their name to the KLF from the Jams because they wanted to make music that they actually liked. <laughs> <laughs> It was amazing. I actually, I just, I just taught a class where I I talk about the KLF a little bit and I was playing them the first two jam songs. And it was like, I had to, at one point I had to be like, you guys understand that this is bad on purpose, right? (laughs) 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 Because no one was reacting to this, like just this like Cockney British guy rapping over dancing queen. And it's like, this is supposed to be stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my
1: god. That must be quite. That must be I don't know, that must be really fun to get to. It it <laughs> exposes like these young people to...
0: Yeah, I, I I never thought professor was going to be in the cards for me but, but
1: here we are. <laughs> um okay, we got we're in the home stretch.
0: Yeah, yeah. Two
1: questions left. So what is the song that means the most to you and not necessarily the song itself but for Something you associate it with, or someone, or
0: something. Um, it's associated with someone, but more broadly, just associated with like feelings in general. But <laughs> um, I discovered Lamb Chop when their first album came out when I was in early in high school, and a guy in a record store in Louisville named Ed Lutz was like, "You might like this." And I played that first Lamb Chop album. I hope you're sitting down over and over and over and over again. Like I fell asleep to it, the, I don't know how many times. And my favorite song on that album, it's called I Hope You're Sitting Down. The song is called Let's Go Bowling. And then um, my after my first year of college, I met uh, someone who I was in a relationship with until my 30s. And one of the things we first bonded over was like, I didn't know anybody that liked Lamb Chop. And it was like, oh, you like Lamb Chop too? And, the you know, like... Yeah. I mean, it's weird. I, I'm talking about this now is that it's like so long ago and I'm like, not with this person anymore, but the first dance at my, at my wedding was to a lamb chop song. Not, wow. not to, not to let's go bowling, but, and so I really, I associate it with this person who, um, I have different feelings about now <laughs> that I don't need to go into, yeah. sure. but, but more than that, it's just this song that like, even when I hear it now, I'm just immediately transported back to like my bedroom when I was yeah. 16, when I was 16 or something but it doesn't feel dated to me either like it's it's every bit as great to me yeah. now as as it was then too and I still love lamb chop I still think they're a great band I love lamb chop. I always feel like lamb
1: chop is like the most underappreciated of all the merge bands that have been. <laughs> like, yeah
0: I don't i love lamb chop and I don't
1: I don't and I feel like I don't know a lot of people who love lamb chop but um and this yeah. song oh. they
0: my Aaron from weird weeds my old band w- was friends with all those people because he was from nashville and Mm. this was like in the early 2000s he was like oh yeah they said that um they don't tour the u.s because they can just go to go to europe and like make enough money to live for a year (laughs) sounds good to me (laughs) yeah but that was they. they i think they're more ubiquitous now like i think they're pretty able to kind of play anywhere um but yeah they've been around around forever i know ages (laughs) um
1: yeah well that's uh, yeah and I I uh, this is I love this song. I love I uh, yeah I just love everything about it. Yeah. Um okay, well come to the end here what is your favorite song Sarah Henny's, at least as of this moment in time?
0: I I did not have to think about this uh, in so much <laughs> as that it is impossible to pick a favorite song which I'm sure everybody yes. says that. But I, I will brazenly say that Born Free by Sold American is my favorite song <laughs> by my favorite band off of my favorite album of theirs.
1: Yeah. I'm so, so I Sold America. This is again of everything you've ever introduced me to, this is the biggest one.
0: Well, it's an exciting time to be a sold American oh, fan, god, I can tell you is. that.
1: <laughs> I mean I mean I think about oh my god. Whenever I I mean, because you and I have talked about Sold American many times through the years, but like, yeah, when the reissues or all that was happening, was like, oh my god, it's really happening. I know. Like,
0: and well, as of right now, it isn't. But (laughs) 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 it, 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 the new album exists. I have a a really close friend of mine in, in Kingston, which is right across the river from where I live now is very, very good friends with the guy who is doing everything for sold American right now. His mm-hmm. name's, uh, Tom Edelman. Mm-hmm. And so I, I somehow have stumbled into a direct line onto all things sold American. And, uh, they are, if anyone's listening, they are looking for a label to, um, reissue, to. A- reissue everything and then re- release the new album. Oh, uh, come on. So, there's somebody has got to be out there. Um, Yeah. So,
1: so this is also your favorite. I, my, I feel like my favorite sold American album like fluctuates, but I don't know. I, I mean, notes. They're, they're notes all
0: great. I I did go through a process that Frozen was the first one I heard, and that when I heard Frozen and Notes Campfire, and then I heard the older ones. At first, I was kind of like, "Oh, I don't like this more upbeat stuff as much." But the I just kind of slowly worked my way back until I had come to the conclusion that this was the most bulletproof discography of any band that I can think yeah. of, of like not, not one song. Am I ever like, eh, I could do without that one.
1: Right. Well, and I, and I remember I think you wrote about this because you did that piece for NPR, but how the sort of improbability of it, how it was like, well, the drummer left and they're like, well, we'll just keep going. That. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> and, know. Then, and then Scott Tuma and I could do a whole thing talking about my love of Scott Tuma. And yeah. it's like,
0: well, we'll just keep <laughs> like, you what put was... out you put out my favorite Scott Tuma album. Oh really? Which one? Not for nobody. Oh god, yeah. I
1: and that was like probably a thing that wouldn't have happened because again, like I still don't even remember how you and I met.
0: I have no clue. honestly. internet, internet something yeah.
1: <laughs> but I have I do have like vague memories of like being at work in the early two thousands and just talking shit on AOL Instant Messenger. Like right. all <laughs> And you, yeah, that's where I, you told me about sold American and then like go down the Scott to rabbit hole. And then I don't even remember how I got in touch with him. Like, I think it was somebody knew him and was like, Hey, do you know, ever heard of Scott to like, he's got a record. He's trying to find So I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then and did a couple things with him and then went and stayed at his house when we were in Chicago oh, a couple cool. times. And, I've,
0: ne- I've never met him.
1: Uh, he's, he's like, Exactly what you imagine Scott Toomer to be. I don't know, right. <laughs> and, um, and he has like had these adorable small children at the time, which this was fifteen years ago, so they're pro- they're adults now. Right? God, it's so weird when I think about that. When I think of people, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember your kid was like five. Like yeah, they're twenty two and just graduated college. I'm like Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, I that like f- perfect discography. Like everything is amazing. Yeah. God, I love old American.
0: <laughs> yeah, There I um, I never. I'm li- I'm like a Bart Simpson waiting for Krusty to show up at camp. That <laughs> like for the last twenty years, I'm like ever since that Yeti magazine came out with with that song with that song Ringside Suite, which my friend Mark and Kingston also agrees is is possibly the best sold American song. It's like, well, they recorded something. That means there's yeah. more. That means there's more. Yeah. And, um, uh, it exists. I've seen a photo of the reels on Facebook. If anyone's oh my there, god wants to join a little cabal of nerds who worship sold American, <laughs> there's oh. a, the Facebook group is the place to be. Sign me up for that. Jesus. Yeah. Um, well, I hope people
1: with labels are listening to this because yeah, this stuff needs to happen. Like, it, yeah, it was so close. To, I mean, it, at least the stuff is out there. On, I guess it's on Bandcamp. Is the only place it is at this point, right?
0: Yeah. Or, uh, but it deserves but, like
1: more. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, like I, again, like acetone is amazing, but they're getting an eleven record box set. Man, sold American. <laughs> yeah.
0: You could <laughs> so, do it in seven.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like small. Like, come on, come on, right yeah. in the attic. Um, well sold americans perfect place to end it yeah. um anything in the next month coming months you want to make sure people know about i know you got the i don't know if this will be out before the show next week but um it'll be on patreon next week but uh, okay Any, anything no, you want, uh, people?
0: nothing we haven't talked about i've there's okay. a lot of there's some cool shit going on but i'm not at liberty to say right now uh, but <laughs> understood understood yeah. well
1: Everybody keep an eye out. And Sarah, thank you so much for doing this.
0: Yeah, this is really fun. Thanks.
1: Awesome. Once again, thank you to Sarah Hennies for taking the time and uh, just, yeah. Thanks for being Sarah. Uh, as always, you can listen to a playlist of all her picks at the link in the show notes over on YouTube. There are some absolute freaking gems in there i'm still trying to figure out i feel like i'm trying to figure this out for the next month like how acetone completely passed me by for my entire life until now um but great stuff and yeah and if you haven't heard sold american yet i put a link to that band camp in the show notes too because sold american is like one of the greatest bands of all time so anyway hope you guys enjoy this as always you can find me wherever on social media just look for foxy digitalist you can join the patreon patreon.com slash foxy digitalist as mentioned you get extended episodes with a special patreon section and this one is a freaking barn burner um and you also get the episodes a week early so you know and there's a ton of other stuff but also you can just join the songs of our lives tier which is three bucks a month and you just get that stuff pretty cool um otherwise yeah hope everybody is Gear is off to a decent enough start. And until next time, just keep on listening to whatever the hell you want.